Uh, seriously, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to share this with you. And every time I get up here, I'll probably end up saying something silly like that. It sounds silly, but it's, I'm serious. I am very excited. I, I, I used to, when I was a, a, a teenager, I would sometimes get asked to share um, a scripture or two or a, a, a message. I remember I was in Ghana one time and I was preaching all the time. Then I'm 19 years old in Ghana and this pastor who's been mentoring me and training me, he, get, he got me up teaching all the time. I think I preached more often than, than Pastor Hall back here at home that, that for those two months. And, but the thing is, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And I would, I would prepare a message, and I would think, oh, gosh, this is good, and it's, it, there's a lot here. And then I'd sit down after preparing or sitting, speaking and, and sharing the message, and I'd look over at the clock, and I'd realize it's been 10 minutes. <laughs> Whoa, what? What? Oh, man, it's so embarrassing. And so I thought, okay, next time. Next time I'll do better. I did. 15 minutes. What? You know, it's, I'm supposed to be pre- teaching a sermon here. Not, not, not a quick word. So anyway, every time since then, I mean, this is a long time ago. Well, not that long ago. Not that long ago. A long time ago. And so since then, I, I, I still, every time I prepare a message, I'm always thinking, and I always worry and I stress. I did this week too. I said, I'm not going to have enough to share. It's going to be one of those 15 minutes things again. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then I realized, this, the, the beginning of this week, I started feeling that. And then I realized, I say that every time. And then every time as I'm studying, as I'm, as I'm remembering the things that I have studied that are pouring into the, the message that I'm preparing, I realize there's such a vast wealth of knowledge in here and in here. Not because I'm so amazing, but because God has revealed so much in his word to me. And then know that there's so much more that I can learn. It's so big. It's so vast. And so I've got like 40 pages to go over. So that's why I said, you know, he gave me two hours because I need it. So I'm going to go fast here. Let's pray. Father, help me to connect with your people this morning. Help me to say what needs to be said and how it needs to be said with boldness. Prepare our hearts, God to receive truth, not just from the words that I speak or the words that we read this morning, but from reveal the truth from your Holy Spirit. Father, speak clearly to us. Make us free. Cause us to grow that we can bring freedom and growth to others. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are at the midpoint of this month-long sermon series, Winning with People. And for the past two Sundays, Pastor TJ and Elder Joe have been answering the question that's presented in John Maxwell's book called Winning with People, where we stole the name. He says the, the, the question that they've been answering has, for the last two weeks has been the readiness question, which says, are we prepared for relationships? And we learned that who we are determines how we see others. The first person we must examine is ourselves. We should never use a hammer to swat a fly off of someone's head. We can lift people up or take people down. And if you want to know more about what those four points are and, 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 and the pre- wonderful presentations that they shared last week and the week before, get on the website, churchpluggedin.com. This morning and for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to examine our next question, which is the connection question. Isn't that awesome? The connection church. A couple smiles, that's good. The connection question And here it is, here it is, here's the question. Are we willing to focus on others? But before we dive into that, 
I want to purposely take us down a little bunny trail on purpose. This is not a distraction. This is important. And ask, why winning with people? Is this all just a bunch of self-help or self-improvement? Is this just a motivational series? No. This is about walking in love. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said to his disciples, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. A few weeks, several weeks ago, Pastor TJ was sharing, I don't remember the series right now, I'm sorry, but uh, he was sharing about the rabbis at a similar time period of Jesus. They 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 had all these lists of commandments that they would share to their disciples, these different rabbis, different teachers, even some of them would claim to be Messiah. And they would have these lists of, of commandments. And they were long and they were tedious and they were just overbearing. Jesus gave us one. He said, I give you one new commandment. Not a list, one. Love each other. Love one another. For you and me, not just the disciples hearing this, but for you and me to love other people. Winning with people is about obeying our Lord and walking in love. Demonstrating that love to others. These principles that we learned last week and the week before, the principles that we're going to learn today and the principles we're going to learn for the next two weeks before we finish this up, they all begin with love. They are sustained by love and they will continue in love. This is not about rah-rah, winning with people, being a more personable person. Hopefully you will be. Hopefully you can learn to be. Hopefully I will be too. But it's about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It's been repeated a number of times in this series. Love is patient and kind, it says. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. That's a rough one right there, isn't it? believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's read that one more time. That verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is critical to going forward and winning with people, loving people, reaching people. So we answered the readiness question. So let's and hopefully you'll go back and listen to this again and, 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 and meditate on the principles that we learned there, the scriptures that were presented as well. So this morning, let's talk about the, quest, the connection question. Are we willing to focus on others? And I want to ask you this as well. Why is it so important that we not only care about, but focus on others? Why are people so important? Quite simply, because God cares about and loves people. He values people. And that, that, that's, that's, I think, a key that I didn't write down, that it just kind of popped in my head. He values people. He doesn't just love them with like some flittering emotional feeling. He, val- he treasures people. You, you want me to prove that to you? Um, it's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Let's read that. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? 
Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Do not be selfish. Do not try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do not look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You have, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. This is, here it is. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 again. It says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took on the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. I have read that countless times over the years that I've been a Christian. And I I got it, but in the last year or so, it just kind of hit me. He didn't come down in his, if you will, natural, it seems so weird to say it, natural spirit form. He came down and purposely took on flesh. He became, God became a man. I'm not saying that he ceased to be God, so I don't want to get into that theological debate and, and, and ultimately heresy. He did not cease to be God. He was both God and man. But the thing is, he was a man. I mean, he sweat blood in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Blood. A spirit does not sweat blood. He was a man. He felt what we felt. The Hebrews talks about that, that he, he's, he's felt the, the, the pain and the sufferings that we felt. He's experienced those things. He was a man. Jesus cared so deeply for mankind, for people, that he became human. The creator of all things. The king of kings. Think about this. The one and only living God humbled himself and took on flesh. He did not come down and dwell among us in spirit form. He became one of us. He became Emmanuel. God with us. Not just beside us in spirit form, but one of us. That's how much he valued. He didn't come as, 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 as some other creature. He didn't create some new creation. He came down as a man, just like you and me. Now, I'm man, mankind, humankind. I'm not, not trying to bash women or something silliness like that, so please don't get off that. God loves people. God loves people unconditionally. God loves your family, your friends, and yes, God even loves your enemies. Now, think about this. Chances are that somebody, don't, don't gasp, somebody thinks of you as, on some level, as an enemy. And yet you and I, I hope you do, think of yourselves as loved by God. But you're an enemy. God loves all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his own. Or does it say God loved the few? Does it say that? For God so loved 
just the ones that you can tolerate. No, it says he God so loved the world, all of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. God loves all people and so should we. Think about how Jesus treated the woman caught red-handed in adultery. Remember, he's drawn on the ground and they, hey, you know, that's stoner. And he says, he who has without sin cast the first stone. Everybody left. Think about how he treated Zacchaeus, the once thieving tax collector that he found in a tree. Think about how he treated Simon Peter, who seemed to have a perpetual habit of sticking his foot in his mouth. Or think about how he treated the so-called doubting Thomas. I hate that. That's not fair to him, I don't think. But anyway, he didn't, he didn't condemn him. He didn't, though, did he? He, he, he loved him. He, he said, sure, go ahead. Stick your hands here. Touch. See and believe. Amen. He wasn't pushing him away. The doubting Thomas. He's very receiving, isn't he? He loved them in spite of their faults and failings. You were made in the image of God. Ephesians 4.24 says that you were created to be like God. You were made to love unconditionally. I'm going to say that one more time. You were made to love unconditionally just like God. If we can truly grasp, and this is why I'm excited, because what I see in the word... Every time I dive in and I start thinking about it, not just when I'm preparing messages, but when I'm in conversation with other wonderful people that that are friends that are theologians and other pastors, and we talk about it, and I get on Skype, and I talk with a pastor friend up in Rhode Island, and we we get on because we're both photographers as well, and so we get on, we're talking about photography, and the conversation 10 minutes in and two hours later is all about theology and what God did for us, and and it's so vast. And that's why I get excited. I don't get excited because I'm just a pastor. And, and so, you know, oh, well, he's a, of course he's going to get excited about the word. No, I, I, I am a child of God. And my, my God, my Father, is just so amazing, so vast. And this ultimately small thing, if we can truly grasp the revelatory ramifications of what we're talking about here so far, it makes it so that you can love that politician that riles you up and makes you so upset. It makes it so you can love that family member that keeps letting you down and everyone else too. It makes it so you can love that colleague that keeps backstabbing and belittling you. It makes it so you can love anyone and everyone. This is the Connection Church. We already established that, right? Part of the mission and vision of this church is to connect with each other. We all need to connect with other people, whether you're extroverted or maybe you're introverted like I am. We need people. We need people. God even recognized that. Let's look in Genesis 2.18. And I realize, well, I'll, say, I'll just we'll read it first. Then the Lord God said, in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now I realize that he goes on there and he makes Eve, he makes the wife. And I understand the you know, husband-wife relationship is what's being established here in this passage. But here, I want you to, and this is why I... I I didn't take it out there. <laughs> I meant to. It says, just focus on that first sentence that he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Even God realized, I mean, he gave him everything. But even he realized he does not need to be alone. We were created with an innate need for others. Some people thrive with a huge number of relationships. Some people are completely satisfied with just a few close friends, but we all need people. More specifically, we need healthy connections with people. 
And that's what this series is all about. There are spiritual, these are the spiritual foundations in theology of why we need to care about winning with people. So how does this look in our actions and daily practice? How do we put our faith to work? As James says, James chapter 2, he says he should, we should, faith without works is dead. We need to put our faith to work. We believe these things. We believe that God loves us. We believe that God, you better believe that God loves everybody. I just showed you. What do we do to fulfill that innate desire for connection, for relationships? Quite simply, we must stop thinking about ourselves so much and focus on the people with whom we want connection. We have two, two principles to look at this morning. The big picture is the first principle. The big picture, pic, bleh, the big picture principle, that's a tongue twister. The big picture principle says the entire population of the world, with one minor exception, is composed of others. More simply put, the world and everything is not about you. It's about me. No. My three-year-old does not get this, the idea that the world does not revolve around him. My three-year-old does not get this. Jaron currently thinks that at any given moment, anything and everything is his. His toys, his brother's toys, his baby sister's toys, my iPad, the television, uh, my chair at the, the kitchen table. He tries to take it all the time. The couch that his big brother is sitting on trying to read a book. It's mine! Ah, get up! And screaming ensues. Then there's telling him that it's time to stop whatever he's currently doing and go use the toilet. Or it's time for lunch. Or it's time for a nap. I, I, it's fun. If, if you've ever had a toddler, you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it can be a challenge. If it's not his idea, it's the worst idea in the world. <laughs> yeah, we skipped the terrible twos and we dove right head on in to the thunderous threes. And we're there. But here's the thing. He's only three. He's only three. That's what my... My, my, my mother-in-law constantly, he's just three. And uh, yeah, he's just three, but I wish he wasn't. So let me ask you a question. What's our excuse when we fight and demand and pout when we don't get our way? Ouch. If we remain self-focused and self-centered, we will not get along with others very well. Just plain and simple. I'm going to be plain and simple a few times this morning. So just bear with it. Deal with it. This obvious will make it difficult for people or impossible to make meaningful connections in building healthy relationships. We must begin seeing the big picture. And there's three requirements to see the big picture. The first one is perspective. Let's read this quote from William B. Given Jr. It says, Whenever you are too selfishly looking out for your own interest, you have only one person working for you. Yourself. When you help a dozen other people with their problems, you have a dozen people working f- with you. Remember Philippians? We read it earlier, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It says, don't be selfish. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It, it, we have to have a perspective beyond ourselves. It's, I mean, it's just simple. There's not much else to say here, is there? We have to see that the world does not revolve around ourselves. We're not a toddler. We're an adult, hopefully. It's time to see others. 
and, and, and I'm sure most of you see others, it's time to open up and see a little bit more. It's time to open up and see what you can do with what you see a little bit more. I'm going to read from this book, Winning with People. It says, uh, John Maxwell says, The entire world, with one minor exception, is composed of others, and most of the people in the world don't know you and never will. Most of the ones you do know probably have greater needs and problems than you do. Think about that for a second. Maybe not everybody, but there's a whole lot of them if you get to know them. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You can choose to ignore them or focus on, and focus on yourself, or you can get over yourself and learn to put other people first. Again, ouch. That might sound harsh, and let me, let me interject this thought. You don't have to. You are not required to do any of these things that I'm sharing this morning. You don't have to believe them. You don't have to put them into practice. But I'll tell you this. If you want meaningful relationships, if you want healthy relationships, if you want lasting relationships, you want to do these things. You want to put these things into practice. All right, so three requirements to see the big picture. Number two and three go together. Maturity and responsibility. Maturity and responsibility. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spake, spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Again, my three-year-old, who is immature, he wants to do nothing for anyone else. Everyone is his slave. And to be honest, it's mostly for the best. We don't want him cooking. I mean, three years old, hello. We don't want him washing dishes. We want to keep them in one piece. But as my two-year-old, my two older boys, rather, have gotten older, we've given them chores and ways that they can help each other and the rest of the family. Most of the time they have to be told, but every once in a while, and actually more than every once in a while as they've gotten older, they'll, they'll see where, where mom or dad, or, you know, their mom or I are working on something. Oh, hey, mom, can I help you with that? My now 10-year-old, as of yesterday... That's weird. He, um, he comes to me all the time. Hey, Dad, I want to help you. I'm not doing anything right now. I'm just sitting on the couch, you know, fiddling on my computer. I want to help you. I want to do something with you. I want to help you. Just out of the clear blue. And he will. He, if I say, okay, well, let's go up and do this. He'll do it. I don't know if you see him every Sunday, just about every Sunday. He's up here helping me set up. After church, he comes and breaks down. And he loves it. He loves to help. He's maturing. Ed Cole says, maturity does not come with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. In marriage, what respons- responsibility doesn't ask, what can I do, my spouse do for me? But maturity asks, what can I do for my spouse? How can you help your family members? How can you help your church, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your community? What strengths do you have that you can give to others to help them grow, to help them meet their goals, to help them move forward in their life? Moving on, to see the big picture, we must do a few things. First, we must check our ego at the door. Check your ego at the door. Let me read real quick. We're going to go quick here now. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. 
I think Pastor TJ said that before. I'm not sure if he's quoting somebody, but it's just that simple. You don't have to belittle. Humility is not belittling yourself. You can be confident. You can know that, hey, I'm a smart guy. Hey, I can play guitar and I can pretty, do it pretty well. Or, hey, I can make a mean casserole. You, you don't have to be, you, you can own what you are. You can have confidence and boldness in what you are. But don't just sit there and think about who you are, what you are, what you have. Think about others. Think less about yourself. That's the meaning behind less of me and more of him. He needs to be exalted. He is more important. And, and that was what John the Baptist was saying, right, at the beginning of the Gospels. He was saying less of me and more of him. It's not that John was now all of a sudden this debased, unimportant thing. It's that he realized that Jesus is that much more important. And this is probably not a perfect example because we're talking about Jesus. But even John set that precedence that somebody else is more important than me. We need to have that, that idea as well. I mean, for crying out loud, Jesus said, he said, um, he, he, one of his parables, one of his stories, he's talking about um, the people that, that uh, did all these great things for, for him. And, and, and he says, you know, get, get out of here. We prophesied in your name. You remember the story? He, we prophesied in your name. We, we healed people. We cast out devils in your name. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. And the second group of people comes up and says, Hi. And he says, oh, well, come in, because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. He said, well, when, when, when did we do that? He says, whenever you did it to the least, right? right. Jesus is in people, right? Remember, God values people highly. So we have to check our ego at the door. Number two, understand what brings fulfillment. Do you desire fulfillment in your life? Let me tell you, you need others. Adam, remember we read it earlier? Adam had it all. All creation was at his disposal. Ultimately, it almost looked like God created all of the Garden of Eden, all the animals, all the plants for Adam. He had it all. And even according to the creation story in Genesis, he had the honor and privilege of naming each of the animals. I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment, pretty big achievement. And yet God realized that he was alone. Read this statement. You are filled full. Remember, fulfillment. You are filled full, not with possessions or achievements, but with the meaningful involvement of others in your life. Number three, get out of your own little world. Do things you've not done before. Go places you haven't been before. Meet people that you do not know. And here's the thing. Don't just, hey, how are you doing? Get to know them. And that brings us to the exchange principle. So I used to have an attitude years ago that maybe it was subtle. Maybe it was bigger than I realized. Maybe. I don't know. That in my little camp of Christianity, my little... Uh, Pentecostal charismatic style flavor of Christianity that I had all that there was and it was awesome. It was rich with the experience and the power and the manifestation of God. And why couldn't all these other Christians that were not in my little world, why could they not see what they were missing? And subconsciously and maybe not so subconsciously, I almost began looking down on them. I, I would, you know, I am Baptist. This Methodist. You know, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but at some point I began rubbing shoulders with lots of other Christians that were missing out, quote unquote, missing out. 
And I began to realize that not only could I learn and be challenged by them, but most of them were just as filled with the Spirit as I thought that I was, even if their practice did not appear the same. And now many of my friends, many of my friends are not. And I count them as friends, and I think they count me as friends. They're not, they're outside of this church is what I'm talking about. They, they, they're not from my particular brand of Christianity. What changed my vantage point? What shifted my opinion of them? Curiosity initially, I was just curious. So why? I kind of got sick of you know, having this arm's length relationship with these people. And so I just, I wanted to know. So I started listening. And I started asking questions. And um, I, stopped sh- I shifted from wanting to teach them to see my way to wanting to understand why they said and did things their way. I began to get to know them and make friendships. And as I did, I found myself happily stumbling through this exchange principle, making lasting, healthy connections, friendships to this day along the way. Now I find my faith so much richer. That's important. I find my faith so much richer as I speak with an Orthodox father or if I speak with a, uh, an Anglican uh, priest. And I have friends that are these things and I learn from them. They, they, they have something that I don't have. They see, they, it's like they're, we're all standing around the throne and they see, they see this side of him. And I'm sitting over here and I see this and I can describe it to him. And he can describe what he sees and I can see it's, it, that's what it is. It's, it's like our different perspectives. Remember perspectives, right? My faith is now so much richer, not because of my increase in knowledge alone, but because of my increase in depth and breadth of relationships. The full body of Christ in all its facets and variations is quite beautiful. The exchange principle says this, instead of putting others in their place, we must put ourselves in their place. Instead of putting others in their place, teaching them what they're missing out, what we know, what we see, we put ourselves in their place. We naturally do not see ourselves and others from the same perspective. I saw myself and those, in, those outside of my little circle of Christianity or inside of my little circle of Christianity, the ones who really knew God. And those others were just going through religious motions, you know. John Maxwell said this, we naturally try to see ourselves in the most positive light. And that's okay as long as we're being honest with ourselves. But we really ought to give others the same benefit of the doubt that we give ourselves. ourselves. When we fail to see things from the perspective of others, we fail in our relationships. As a younger Christian, I lost some friendships, Christian friendships, because of my sometimes, maybe a lot of times, myopic viewpoints and stubbornness to consider other perspectives under the guise of I'm standing in my faith. How many conflicts could you have avoided merely by making an effort to understand the perspective of another person? Not just theological conflicts, but marriage and family conflicts. Conflicts on the job or in the neighborhood. Let's move on. Learning to see things from others' perspectives helps us succeed in relationships. So how do we make this exchange? We're almost done. How do we make this exchange? Let's read Philippians 2, 3, and 4 once more. Don't be selfish. Be humble. 
thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. How to make the exchange? Number one, leave your place and visit their place. Listen to people's concerns. Study their culture or their profession. Read in their areas of interest. Visit their home, office, or neighborhood. Maybe you're not into sports. I'm not. But I know Bobby is. And, so, and I know my, 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 my brother TJ is. And so I, I learn at least a little bit so that when we're talking, I can understand what he's saying. <laughs> and then here's the key is, half the time I don't. And so what does that mean? What do you mean? I don't I ain't even going to try. Ask them questions. Talk to them. Get to know them. Because you value them just like God values them. Number two, acknowledge that the other person has a valid viewpoint. This one is difficult. It just is. Because you are not always going to see things the way other people do. Your opinions and your viewpoints might not always match up or find agreement. And that is okay. But try. Show mercy. Have compassion. Even go so far as to allow your thinking to stretch. That's difficult, especially when it's, I mean, if it's something you really don't have a strong feeling about, it's easy to see other people's viewpoints, right? But what if you feel strongly about it and they have a totally opposing viewpoint? Can, can you still have mercy? Can you have a little, yeah, I know, it's difficult, isn't it? Can you have patience? Can you maybe go, okay, maybe. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 says, Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That means I have to at least consider their, their opinion? Yeah. So that verse covers this last point. And the next one, the, the third point is uh, check your attitude. Attitude is everything. I have this bracelet. And it says, attitude is everything. Now, I haven't worn it for a while, but as I was preparing this, I was, hey, that brace, I used to wear this frequently to re- remind myself, attitude is everything. And it, before you think, oh, there he goes again, going on that motivational speech, just self-help and self-improvement. You don't believe me? Let's go. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. This is Paul. This is the Bible. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, true and honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, in other words, a good thing, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Attitude. What is attitude? Attitude is our, our, our ideas, our thoughts, our perspective, our, here's that word perspective again, our feelings about things. Attitude is everything. The way we see something it's huge. We've already been talking about that, that. We have to stop looking at ourselves and focusing ourselves and looking at other people and, and looking at people as, as God does. He values them. Even the people that you think, that's a horrible person. I can't stand them. God can. Maybe we should too. Maybe we should repent, think differently. That's attitude. Repentance is big. It's not asking for forgiveness, though. It's making a decision. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm going to think this way. 
I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm going to think this way. It's basically, it's 180 degrees. I will no longer think hatred. I will think love. I will no longer think patience. I will think loving, long-suffering. Think differently. When you feel strongly about your viewpoint or opinion, it is easy to fight or block out another's opinion. And this blocking out, this blocks out, I should say, the chance for connection with that person. Our attitude must be one of love. Jesus didn't block people out. Neither should we. Remember the foundation and reason for supplying these principles is love. And our last point is empathy is key. Number four, empathy is key. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And you're not going to do that unless you ask questions. You're not going to do that unless you take the time to get to know the person. Even if they seem like they're a difficult person. That's hard to do. Ouch, show me. Empathy is genuine caring. If you don't know or understand, ask. If you don't understand, why, did they, why do they always do that? Just ask them. And I don't mean ask them, why do you always do that? Yeah, that's not really empathetic. And that's, yeah, it's more confrontational. So, but ask them. Just talk to them. Get to know them. It's ultimately about keeping open, honest, and caring communication. It's about love. Let's all stand. So in conclusion, we must stop solely thinking of ourselves and focus on others. We must start seeing the big picture, realizing that the world does not revolve around us. There are other people around us that need us to do for them what we would have others do for us. That sounds like something Jesus said, isn't it? We must see others with empathy, as the exchange principle says. Instead of putting others in their place, we must put ourselves in their place. Okay, so, so before we pray, just we've gone through these principles. We've learned principles last couple weeks. We're going to learn some more principles in the coming weeks. These things don't happen overnight. Say you have a rough relationship. Say you have you know, some relationships that, that are just not going so well, that you'd love to see go better, but they're just not right now. You're not going to go home. You're not going to go to work. You're not going to go to that person tomorrow. and necessar- It's not going to just change all overnight. It might. It might. Maybe it's not as bad as you think it is, so maybe it just turns overnight. But it takes time. It takes patience. It takes, putting, it takes time, consistent application, and patience in putting these principles into practice. And remember, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, the first verse, he says, though I have the, 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 the gift of you know, speaking in tongues of men and angels and, and I have not love, it's worthless. I can... I can have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and yet I don't have love, they're worthless. We can put these principles in action. You can, you can practice them. You can put them into practice. You can, you can, and they'll work. They will work for you. But I'll tell you, without love, it's worthless. Without love, you're doing it in your own strength and good luck. That's basically all you've got. But with love, with the love of God, you've got his power. You've got his grace pushing you forward, making these things work. You've got God's power going forward in prayer, hopefully, too. And he can prepare the parts of the person that you're trying to have a healed relationship. Or maybe you're just trying, you really want to get to know that person. 
God can help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that now we know truth and it makes us free. Hmm, That's big. We know truth now. We may still be swallowing it and chewing on it, and I hope that we do. Me too. And as we do, I thank you, Lord God, that it makes us free. Free from unforgiveness and a life of creating and sustaining ruined relationships. Free to forgive and not hold on to bitterness that keeps us from truly joyfully and peacefully living life. Free to understand and even help others. Fill us with your love fresh this morning and every day. Give us grace to walk in love and wisdom to apply these principles that we are learning this month. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.